Discover how you can live a glorious and supernatural life through the teachings of Reverend Dr. Kwaja Bwatenbempa. Reverend Dr. Kwaja Bwatenbempa is the senior pastor and visioneer of Holy Hill Chapel, Assemblies of God. An anointed, energetic, and practical teacher, this servant of God will inspire you with practical teachings of the Word of God that will inspire, refresh, energize, and bring healing to your body, soul, and spirit. Now to today's message. Please clap your hands and give the Lord a clap offering in this place. I want you to turn to one or two people and welcome your brother. We are doing the same thing. We are in the same vineyard. Welcome two or three people. It's also a time of fellowship. Yes, talk to people have come from Kumasi everywhere. Try and greet somebody and let the favor on your life rub on somebody's life. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. We are so blessed to be here. Pastors gathering from around the globe. And we thank God for his grace and mercy that has brought us here. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, something good is about to happen to you. Oh, the other person and say, neighbor, something spectacular is about to happen to you. Will you put your hands together for the Lord once again and take your seat? We are just trying to move on very powerfully. We want to welcome everybody from Kumasi, from Takrade, from Tamale, everywhere. And we are going to gather some of the names today. I don't know whether we will do introduction because everybody here is important. Pastors, there's no one small pastor who is not important. And so, but still we have Bishop Eddie in the house. We have Reverend Kofi Bempa in the house. All prophets, lift your hands. Led by Prophet Ama. Wow. And the apostles, we are going to take our time to introduce one or two people. But I want you to turn your Bible to Genesis 13, verse 2 and 5. And I'm going to introduce Bishop Eddie to give us some 15 minutes admonition. But before then, I want to tell you something of title, Increase by Association. Now, in Genesis 12, 2, the Bible speaking, it said, and Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and here, unto the place of the altar which the Lord made there at first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. I want you to underline, underline the word, and Lord also, which went with Abraham, had flocks, hairs, and tents. And Lot also. So what happened to Lot? We never saw that he was praying. He increased by association. God bless Abraham. Lot associated with him. Abraham had silver, cattle, gold, silver. Lot also. So sometime in the ministry, by the people you associate with, it can shift your ministry to another dimension. Papa Oedipo said, in one of the years, he spent the whole night praying this specific prayer. Lord, disconnect me from those who are going backward and connect me to those who are going forward. Watch night prayer. This is the prayer topic. Lord, disconnect me from those who are going backward and connect me to those who are going forward. 
I want to ask you, your friends in ministry, are they going forward or they are going backward? It is so important for you to understand that association brings favor, brings increase. So the circle where you play, who you follow determines what follows you. I've been privileged by God to associate with certain giants by the grace of God. Where did I get my first training from? I used to stay with Professor Salifu in his house. And then gradually, 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 we also became something. Later, I got introduced to the ministry of Papa Oedipo. I learned faith, prosperity, signs and wonders. And then in 1997, I got introduced to Bishop Black Ministry. Church work, loyalty, mega church. I'm trying to list everything I got from anywhere. Later in 2015, somebody gave me a book by Apostle Guillermo Maldonado and the man taught on the supernatural. God brought all these men into my life, fathers and mentors, to chart the course of my life and to enjoy the same grace that is upon their life. And so you have to understand that Esther will not have become anything without association with Mordecai. In Esther chapter 2 verse 5 to 10, we discover that when Mordecai was taken as a slave, Esther too came. He has no father, he has no mother. But staying with Mordecai under the tutelage of this experienced man that have worked with God, today, in every woman's conference, Esther's name is mentioned. Who you associate with has everything to do with how your life turns out. I was telling Bishop Eddie, he asked me, where did I go? I said, I went to Texas. And I was showing him how I met the great man of God, Kenneth Copeland. And I got there, I said, I want to see him. They say, you can't see him, so I will see him. I know how to see people. And so I told them that I have something for the man of God. And it's not a lie, it's true. They said, okay, tomorrow, go and come tomorrow. So they gave me special chair. I sat there. God being so good, when they took me from where I was sitting, they took me to his prayer room straight. My God. And the man came, he began to prophesy over Ghana, prophesy over me. But there is a certain level of prosperity that is about to hit every ministry that is here. So you can do all the things you need to do. That building will be completed within the shortest possible time. And this increase is coming supernaturally. And so you will never increase until you associate with a certain kind of people. Increase will be provoked when you take steps to associate with certain kinds of people. One day, I was saying that Bishop Eddie gave me some little room at the Collegono place and I gathered my leaders there for prayer meeting. And whilst we were there, I picked a tape from um, Bishop Noah Jones and we began to play the tape. I didn't preach. We were all watching. Something hit the room. Everybody fell under power. The meeting that was supposed to go for one hour ended up three and a half hours. From that day, I've been following this man gradually. You know, a lot of pastors have only one stream of ministry. If he's local, he's local. But you have to remember the scripture that says he gave gifts unto men. He gave gifts unto men. All that we know is not in Africa. All that we know is not in America. 
It is all over the world. You go to Asia, you see breakthrough in church growth. So if you say, oh, the Asians are slim and short, you don't like them, then your church will remain a dwarf for the rest of your life. My boy, they put the ministry is not appetite. If, it, if the thing is on a white man, go for it. If it was a black man, go for it. If it was an, a man that you don't even like the way he moves, go for it. Because he gave gifts unto men. And until you meet certain men, there are certain giftings that you may never experience. So in conclusion, Proverbs 13, 20. Today I didn't come here to talk. This is my introduction. He that walk with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. The word worked means to pursue a course of life, to follow a path of life. So follow those who are experts in the course you want to go. If the person you are following does not believe in miracles, healing, holiness, prosperity, then why are you following? Paul told us to follow his course. 1 Corinthians 4, 16. Follow people who follow the word and have results to prove it. Follow people who follow the word and have results to prove it. Hebrews 6, 12. The Bible says we should follow men of faith. Favor is contagious. Increase is contagious. It rubs on you when you get close to those who carry it because they live by faith. And so it's very, very important that as we have gathered, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron. So don't just be around. Follow and follow well. Life is complex. You need to make it simple by following those who have proof by showing the things that they have learned. How do you follow? Know who to follow by checking with God. Sometimes God himself will implant into your spirit. Follow this man of God. Also, associate by listening to messages. Ezekiel 2.2. The spirit entered into me as he spoke unto me. Associate by reading books. I just told Bishop Edi a book I, I brought from Texas by Jerry Savile. The title is, The Men That Impacted Me Most. Now, it pains me I didn't bring, I, didn't, I, I have only one copy. The Men That Impacted Me Most. And then, he talks about Kenneth Copeland. He talks about T.L. Osborne. He talks about um, T, uh, um, um, Ura Robert. And then he talks about Papa Hagen. And then inside the book, Charles Caps and other. Nobody ever became anything without associating with people who have already become something. So it is so important. So you associate number three by reading their books. The books that the men have written can turn your life around. And then number four. If God grants you opportunity... By personal contact. Associate by contact. You have watched the man of God on television. But now he has come so close to you. Why will you not come to have an eyeball to eyeball contact? Because something can drop for you. By those type of contact. Deuteronomy 34 says that. Moses was filled with wisdom. 34 9. Because Moses laid hands on him. And then associate by honoring with a seed. Associate by honoring with the seed. If we finish this conference, they asked me, Are you going to charge everybody for registering? And I said, No, because some of the people are coming from the north and other wherever. I cannot charge. And sometimes, when you say, Because you even said 50 cities, somebody say he can come, but he'll use 50 cities to go and eat KFC. And so, you come to a conference like this, you believe in God to tap into something. A man of God should not go to conference empty handed. You carry some seed. The reason why many pastors are suffering is because their need is leading them instead of seed. When you see a man, you try to find out what did they do, what have they done. 
And so, you also associate with your seed. You associate with your seed. Proverbs 19.6. 19.6. When your seed, you see, your seed brings you into partnership. Many will treat the favor of the prince. Every man is a friend to him that give a gift. You see? When you give a gift, there is a friendship connection that is established spiritually. And so, ladies and gentlemen, let me finish with this scripture. Proverbs 18, 16. From the easy English Bible, it says, gifts can open many doors and help you to meet important people. Proverbs 18, 16. Ye RV Bible. Ye RV. What is ERV? ERV. A man's gift make a room for. But this one says that a gift can open many doors and help you to meet important people. Thank God today God has opened the door for us to meet the preacher's preacher, Papa Jones. Put your hands together for the Lord. I want to invite you to to also talk to us in the next 15 minutes. I believe that every minute you are going to catch something. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome the indefatigable Bishop Edi Adi, man of God. He has trained pastors all over the world. Let's give him. Are you clapping for the Lord? I appreciate the Lord for this wonderful opportunity we have to experience him in a pastor's conference. Let us pray. Father, we ask you to open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Please be seated. Thank you. What I don't know how many minutes you took, but this is a very loaded, very powerful message on impartation by association. Will you clap for Jesus for this great and anointed servant of the Lord? What a word. I'm sure it's in a book. Yes, it's bow means in a book. Buy the book and sell it not. What a blessing. Just for a few minutes, I believe that we've been brought to a very blessed place. How many believe that we are blessed to be here? You are blessed to be here because God has arranged this so. In Psalm 65 and verse 4, the Bible says, Blessed is he whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee. They shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. I believe we are blessed because God is the one who chose us and caused us. Sometimes it's as if circumstances have made it possible. Or it's as if, you know, you, you really, you know, when, when you heard the call for this change of story conference, you thought to yourself that what a blessing it is to come. If Bishop Bempa has called me here, I must be here. What you don't know is that even though he's the one calling on you or the advert pulled you, the Bible simply says that the one who comes before God, it is God who has chosen him first of all and now has caused him or has made a rearrangement for him to be here. So tell yourself, I am blessed. I am blessed to be here. You are blessed to be here. Why? Because 
in a pastor's conference. I don't know how many of us are pastors. Many of us are pastors. If you're a pastor, lift your hand. If you're not a pastor, just say, I am here. Beautiful. You are here and you are blessed to be in a pastor's conference. When we're children, if you are blessed to be where the grown-ups are eating, your meat is different. Am I saying something clear? If they ever put you on the table where your daddy is eating, your uncle is eating, and his friends are eating, the meat is different from the one that is in the kitchen. That one has the legs of the chicken, the neck of the chicken, but on the high table, you have the, 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 the thighs and the breasts and the back. So we are blessed to be here. Those of you who are not pastors, you are blessed to be in the pastor's conference. Clap for yourselves, clap for Jesus. Now, Bishop Empa has said so many things this morning in just these few minutes. Why we must be associated with people whom God is using. Because nobody goes anywhere without a human element. If you look in the Bible, you will see that Joshua became Joshua because of Moses. Aaron was nobody until Moses was revealed to him. God told Moses that your brother Aaron is coming. He will meet you and he will be glad at your coming. He will be your mouthpiece to Pharaoh and you will be instead of God to him. I'm sure that Moses said to God, I'm not able to speak. And God said, your brother Aaron is a good speaker. Whenever Moses, the Bible says that, and Moses said unto Pharaoh, and Moses said unto Pharaoh, perhaps it was Aaron who was speaking. But nobody knew of Aaron till Moses appeared on the scene. And God used Moses to bring Aaron to prominence. Today, I believe in this conference that we are not here by accident. We are here because God has chosen his servant whom he has used. Let me tell you, for somebody to be in ministry and 73, he is still being invited to different nations. He must have something to offer. He must have something to offer. He has been in ministry for a long time. He himself told us that at age 19, he started pastoring. Hey! And he's now 73. Look, between 19 and 73 is a very long, is a lot of years. And to still be standing, still invited, still relevant, he must, some, he must have something that you and I need to make it in this ministry. The ministry is a long road. Those of us who are pastors know how difficult it is, even to buy land. And yesterday he told us he signed a check for $24 million to buy a property debt free. $24 million times 12. I don't know what, what that mathematicians will say. How much is that in Ghana cities? You haven't even seen, um, I don't want to say million, but. You have not even seen 100,000 Ghana cities in your account before. But here is somebody that God has used and blessed and graced. May we be partakers of his grace. Be partaker of that grace. He told us yesterday 
that his church holds 17,000 people. I can tell you that 17,000 is not a simple number to have in one place. And in America, in this modern era, and ladies and gentlemen, no matter what numerical barrier you have, you are going to break every numerical barrier by the impartation that will take place here. You see, it's easy to go for a pastor's conference and just, you know, write notes. And the notes really doesn't translate into anything practical in your life. Many of us have attended conferences. We have not used the things we were, we were taught. But I pray that this conference will be a difference. Because whatever is happening here, open your eyes. As somebody says, shine your eyes. And shine your ears. Because something is about to shift you to the level you have never been before. I said you will break every numerical barrier you have never broken. Based on this impartation, the, the anointing that is working here is no mean anointing. It's an anointing for longevity in ministry. You will last long in ministry. You will not backslide along the way. You will last long in ministry. 73 and counting. Still fighting for God. Hey! Sometimes some of us are even 37. 73, 37. But we look like we have retired already. But in this conference, every spirit of retirement in your heart is giving way to a refiring that will take you to another level. Is somebody saying amen to that? Cornelius received a great impartation from the ministry of Peter. The Bible says that Peter was introduced to Cornelius by an angel. An angel actually appeared to Cornelius and said, send to Joppa, there is a man called Peter there. And when he comes, he will tell you what to do. And when you look in the life of the, the, the ministry that Peter brought to Cornelius' house, you ask yourself that, couldn't an angel preach this message? I am sure the angel could have preached that message. But the Bible says that it took Peter, a human vessel, a person that God introduced to Cornelius to bring the Holy Ghost to his whole household. In this conference, I said in this conference, God has sent his angel to bring us his messenger to take us to our next level in God. Our next level of church growth. Our next level of prosperity. Our next level of international ministry. You will not be in Ghana forever. You will not be ministering only in your local church forever. God is going to take you beyond your own pulpit. You'll be preaching in other pulpits. Not only in your town, but beyond your town. Not only beyond your town, but beyond your country. I don't think people believe what I'm saying. I think I'll go and say this to another conference somewhere else. Yes. You have gone to American embassy for so long and been bounced for so long. You have gotten many, 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 many accounts from different people in local Ghana and international Ghana. And yet, they don't look at your face. Because... 
Sometimes the door that will open to you is not somebody's bank account, but it's the anointing that has increased on your life that brings that favor. This conference will afford you such an impartation. I said this conference will afford you such an impartation. Yes, believe it. In a pastor's conference, God also brings pastors. I heard this many years ago from um, T.D. Jakes when he gave this analogy of when you sit on an aeroplane, you, because you'll be sitting on an aeroplane. And you will hear them every time you're on a flight, even if it's local from Accra to Takradi, they make that announcement that should in case the cabin pressure should depressurize, oxygen mask will come from the ceiling, pull to your nose and breathe normally. And in case you have an infant, first of all, put on your mask and breathe normally and after that, help your infant. Maybe you have not been on a flight before. You have been on a flight. You don't even listen to this announcement because it's as if it has no meaning to you. But in that, he meant that when you have a child traveling with a child on a plane and the oxygen is finishing in the aeroplane, oxygen mask will come from the ceiling. First of all, pull to your own nose and breathe normally. And then after that, you help your child. Because when you have a child that you are trying to put over your child first, your child may be fidgeting before you know it. You yourself are passing out. And then your child eventually also passes out. So what he was trying to say is that the pastor's conferences are good for pastors. Because pastors are always counseling, always preaching, always giving to people always helping others and many pastors their oxygen spiritual oxygen is finishing but there comes a time when we also must be brought aside and be strengthened and be taught and to and be preached to pastor to pastor and when you even though you're a pastor in your church when you come for a conference you are just a normal christian who is here to receive what the lord has for you and I see many times people go for conference and they stop going because they feel that they haven't got what they have to get. Because God will use a conference to bless you. God will use another man of God, another person, somebody he has used already to be a blessing to you. Sometimes we also pastors, we like to wait on God. You know, I'm going to Achia Mountains. When I come from there, seven days, something will happen. Good. Achia Mountains is good because God does directly speak to his own. But in the Bible, you see many times that God sending men to be a blessing to men. May you not walk out of this conference the same way that you came in. In Ezekiel, he said, those who enter by the north gate will exit by the south gate. And those who exit come in by the south gate will go out by the north gate indicating that nobody comes to the temple the same way he goes back the same way that he came in if you came weak you are going strong if you came discouraged you are going encouraged if you came as a pastor of one church you are going back as a pastor of 10 churches 100 branches a thousand branches may that be your story and may that be your portion. Please sit down. I'm just saying something. 
Are you listening to me? So God uses men, and we saw how God used Cornelius to be a blessing, uh, Peter to be a blessing to Cornelius' house. If we look at Acts chapter 8, the Bible says, Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ. And then the Bible says, and clean spirits left the people with a loud voice. The whole city was turned upside down. After he finished preaching, the Bible says they sent Peter and John to them. And they came to lay their hands on them to receive the Holy Ghost. God is always using men to bless men. In this conference, you are going to experience the same. My father, Bishop Dykeward Mills, always tells the story of how his ministry took a different turn by the ministry of Papa Hagen. He often says that this is one of the best messages he preaches. He says in 1988, he was a student and has started Lighthouse Chapel International and he has still been preaching. But he had followed Papa Hagen for more than 10 years, listening to his messages, soaking his messages, loving him, appreciating him, admiring him for years. Until one day in Suhum, where he had gone for community health rotation, he was listening to Papa Hagen and he was praying. Around 3 a.m., as he was kneeling down and praying, Papa Hagen was ministering and preaching. Something jumped from the tape and entered into him here. And he heard a voice that said, From today, you can preach. From today, you can preach. You can teach. And since that day till today, he has been teaching, he has been preaching, and his life and ministry is history for all of us to see and read. In this conference, somebody is about to shift level and your life is going to change from this conference by the impartation that you receive. Are you hearing me today? Are you hearing me today? It was years after, while I was listening to Oedipo, that I heard him say, having followed Papa Hagen for all these years, I read virtually all his books. He said he took a journey from... Um, wherever he was in Nigeria to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma so he can have a face-to-face contact like uh, Pastor Bempa was saying that you, you, that you need a face-to-face encounter. And he said when he went to Tulsa, he was seated in the gallery and Papa Higgin was ministering on stage. But he says, I went to the conference with my heart burning for what Papa Higgin carries. And he said, this was my prayer. Lord, whatever makes Hagen Hagen, I want it. Whatever makes Hagen Hagen, I want it. I don't know whether you have such a yearning in your heart in this conference. There must be a desire in your heart that whatever makes Bishop Noah Jones, who Bishop Noah Jones is, I want it. When Bishop Bempa is uh, talking about him. He says, this is a preacher's preacher. It means he can preach. And boy, he can preach. I mean, if you have ever followed his ministry on YouTube or any other media like that, you would know that he can preach. I mean, he's a preacher's preacher. 
He preaches and you can know that this one is preaching. Recently when I hear uh, uh, Bishop Jakes was having his birthday, he said, I want somebody who preached Bible. He, he invited Noah Jones. I want somebody who preached. One day somebody will be sitting in his church and it is his birthday and he's thinking, who can I invite? Who can preach Bible to my people? And you are the one that will be calling. I say, you are the one that will be calling. Papa Edipo said, I cried in my heart, Lord, whatever makes Hagen Hagen, I want it. May that be your prayer in this conference. Whatever makes Noah Jones, Noah Jones, I want that thing. I want that thing that is on his life. I want, and that hot desire, he said, while I was seated in the gallery, my heart burning for what Papa Hagen carries. Suddenly, he said, suddenly, Papa Hagen's face was transformed, transfigured. And the flesh of his skin was like the skin of a baby. And then he saw oil dripping from his face. He said, I don't know who saw it, but I saw it. He said, it was not sweat, it was oil. And then suddenly he said, something was fired up to him where he was seated in the gallery and he began to sob like a baby. You see, in a conference like this, don't be conscious of yourself. Because pastors, we are like, as the Ashanti man will say, Bermansu. So when you are in a conference, that we are all men of God. I am a man of God. I also have a congregation. So uh, even where you'll be seated can be a problem. Because you are, you are a man of God. Your congregation is big. When you come for a conference, maybe they'll put you second row, third row. Your face can change. And throughout the conference, you are so conscious of yourself that you don't really receive what is being given here. But I pray God will soften your heart. Because how many of us can sit in front? Or how many of us can sit on the second row? When you are in the pastor's conference, free for all. Baby, I do so Papa Hagen, uh, Papa Oedipo was saying that this man's face was dry. He said, my heart was burning with hot desire for what he carries. And then while he was sobbing and crying, he said, but I'm not emotional. Even though you may not be emotional, God can touch your heart and make you sob like a baby. And he said, I heard the voice of God tell me, my son David, the baton has been passed over to you. Or the baton has been passed over to you. And he said, as far as the, the, the faith message and faith ministry is concerned, his life and pulpit have been used as a reference point. Today, I believe in this conference. Today, tomorrow, by the time it ends, your life, your ministry will be used as a reference point. A reference point. A reference point. Ha! What a blessing. Somebody is being blessed already. Yes. My God and my Lord. So when I saw that my father had a similar encounter with Oedipo, I said to myself that, wow. Unknown to each other, both of them are receiving from the same father by the same token. Having followed, having admired, having loved, 
And that is why Satan will discredit every man of God. And it's plenty on YouTube. And yesterday, he told us that there are people who fight God's anointed. They don't have anywhere they are going. And it worries them that God is using you. And God will use you. God will use you. Don't bother to answer people. We call them the naysayers. Naysayers. They are not going anywhere to happen. Don't bother to answer them. Don't bother to answer those who are criticizing. Keep your focus. I thank my God for my father, Bishop Dagwood Mills. Nobody has in recent times been more vilified, more castigated, more insulted, more maligned, more misunderstood, more mistreated than him. And yet, Today he's on crusade in Kenya, still, still, still gathering thousands, hundreds of thousands in crusades, saving more souls, having pastors' conferences, preaching the same message that God gave to him, and the anointing is increasing and increasing and increasing because God will be with his man no matter how many enemies rise against him. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. Pressing on, keep pressing on, keep pressing on. Even if men fight you, keep pressing on. Go for the anointing. You are blessed to be in a conference like this. Go for the grace of God that is on men. That God, people, you cannot invite such a man to your church. I tell you that it's not easy to invite a man of his stature. Oh, yes. Even first of all, that you will know him and even have the chance to even talk to him before you say I want to invite you to my church so God often has special people like Bishop Empa who have a way to enter every room <laughs> yes this year he took me to Nigeria bought a ticket everything for me hotel everything shipped me to Nigeria to go and meet Bishop Uedipo he was comfortable there he, he, was, he was comfortable in the midst of the people. And he ushered me straight to the man. He said, let's go, let's go. And I also followed. I'm not a fool. Show me the men of God you associate with and I will show you how far you will go in life. Ministry. This type of conference, you don't attend it one year. You see, there are many of us who go for a conference, one year, two years, you stop. I mean, the people who have had impartation, they don't intend to stop. My father said he wanted church growth. We should go to Korea. He carried all of us to Korea. Let's go and see what is happening there. We went to Korea till Yonggi Cho died. We went for more than 20 years till he died. But Also, there you come one year, two years. Oh, I dare not know what. And then, oh, uh, you know, they don't even allow you to see the man of God and all those type of things. So, I dare not know what I want to be. It was give thyself holy time. We sent some pastors to invite other pastors in my area. One pastor told my, the, the one who was sent that, when we do conference, do you come? that you are calling us for conference to come and my pastor said to him 
My pastor told me later, he said, the man has about 70 people in his church. And with your 70 people in your church, you are saying that you, you, when you do a conference, the man who has more than thousands and hundreds of thousands of members in his church, you are saying that he doesn't come for your 70 member conference. May God have mercy on us. So I pray that it will be well with us in this conference. Are you listening to me? Let me just give you a scripture and please sit down. I'm still just finishing in two minutes. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, Mark 12, 34, he said unto him, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Thou art not far. Which means there's some people who are far. You can be physically in this room, but you are very far from the kingdom. And there are people who are watching on Facebook. They are not here. And they are very close because in the spirit, their hearts are opened to receive. I pray for you that in this conference, you will not miss your moment of impartation. Today we are on in this conference for pastors. Please take it with all your heart and your life will never be the same again. Whether hands are laid on you, whether handkerchief is put on you, whether oil is poured on you, whether a prophetic word is spoken into your life, God will use different, different, sometimes it's just the preaching is enough. He has finished his work. Don't become like Naaman who said, I thought he would come out of his house and stand and call upon his God. Naaman was a leper. He had come to Elisha for healing. And he said, I thought Elisha, Elisha sent Gehazi, go and tell him to go and wash in the Jordan seven times. He said, I thought he would come out of his house and stand and call upon his God. Step number three. And then strike his hand on the leprosy step number four and cleanse the leper I didn't know he knew the steps for cleansing leprosy because sometimes when you come to God you want God to minister to you unless they have poured oil on your head there's no impartation unless they have laid hands on you there's no impartation unless he has specifically prophesied into your life there's no impartation but God is God is wonderful he will never be put in any box that you and I put him in let's open our hearts so that as the man of God ministers where, when as the word is coming you are receiving impartation as hands are laid on you you are receiving impartation as oil is poured on you you are receiving whatever means it comes may your heart be open to receive it and by the time this conference is over you will learn by experience that the Lord has shifted you to another level in your life, your ministry your growth and your prosperity in Jesus name Amen what a word why should I feel discouraged and why should the shame 
shadows fall And why should my heart feel lonely And long for heaven and home When Jesus is my portion My constant friend is He And I know He watches me Why should I feel discouraged And why should the shadows fall and why should my very heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion my Rolling 
Papa John said he slept only just an hour. But he has come fully prepared for the pastors. He said to me yesterday, just give me time, let me impart this thing. Because time is not on his side. His generation is almost passing away. So today the connection is going to be made. Put your hands together. Let's welcome the preacher's preacher. Take somebody's hand, if you will. Just reach over and touch somebody. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. And we thank you because you've allowed us to come together one more time. And as we touch one another without envy, without jealousy, we touch one another asking that you will bless my brother and my sister cause them to be the best that they can be and move them in the right direction and let your word forever rest in their hearts as they bless others bless them and I speak it now in the name of Jesus and I thank you for what you're about to do in Jesus name can everybody say amen 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 so I'm gonna get to work you all sit down and don't mind if I sit is that okay Amen. I, I've been, I'm not as young as I used to be. Uh, now, they're going to help me because they're going to put on the screen so all of us can, can see what it is that I'm doing. And I'm going to talk about the art of exceptional preaching. That's what I'm going to talk about. And I'm going to talk about it in a manner that would encompass everyone. Listen, you're whoever it is who's operating and whoever it is that is the director is an incredible person. Who, who directs the screen and who does the, the TV? And uh, I'd like to see that person before I leave just to put my eyes on that person because that director is incredible. Amen. Incredible human being. Very creative and all of that good stuff. Now, uh, are we ready? Can we project something on the board? Uh, from my... Maybe I gave it too late. 
Oh, there it is. Okay. So now, uh, follow me now and go to the next uh, screen. What I'm bringing to the table is 50 years of empirical experience. So I'm going to give you an insight into what I've done for 50 years plus. So that means I'm 73 now and I was called to preach at 19. Now, I wanted to be a pilot because I like to go fast. And, and I have some of the meanest cars you ever want to think about because I like to go fast. And my father said to me, he said, look, we've got enough jack leg preachers. We've got enough preachers who can't preach. So I tell you what you got to do. You got to forget being a pilot and go to seminary. So I gave up my zeal for speed and I went to seminary. So what I'm bringing you is 50 years of empirical experience in the arena of preaching. Now, I don't intend to clone you. I don't intend to clone you because I don't want you to be like me. And I tell you why. I'm the best me that anybody could be. I'm the best me. You can't be me as well as I can be me. But you can be you better than anyone. So this is not intending to clone you. But all of us have had influences. Because, and, and I, I put it to you this way, there is no such thing as desire, admire, without desire. Anybody or any person that you admire, there is a proclivity or a tendency to desire to be like them. So all of us have influences. Whoever it is that we admire influences us to a certain degree. One of my, one of my mentors, and he's gone now, he said to me, read a message every day. Just read a message every day. And don't even think about it. And then when you regurgitate it, when it comes back, it comes back like you are. Should I say that again? You imbibe or you digest a message every day. And when you bring it back, it comes back like you are. Because... No one of us has it all. There is nobody in here that has everything as it relates to God. I don't care how brilliant he is. He can be intoxicated with the exuberance of his verbosity. He can be just the best <laughs> intellectual. No one of us has it all. That's why we share. Because my idiosyncratic conceptualization of God cannot be duplicated or imitated. 
you can't see God the way I see him. And I can't see him the way you see him. Because your situation and circumstance, your cognitive energy, your intellectuality, the things that you've been through are different from mine. So that's why Paul says to comprehend with all saints. The reason we share is because I cannot understand the fullness of who God is without you. Because I don't have it all. Should I say that again? Nobody in here has a total understanding of who God is. I'm going to go deeper before I go higher. My relationship with God is not physical. My relationship with God is not material. My relationship with God is not intellectual. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care how brilliant you think you are. Your cognitive energy and your intellectuality does not bring God into your space. My relationship with God is spiritual. I wish somebody would argue with me. I wish somebody would say, that ain't right. There are two boys in separate mother's wombs. One boy's name is John and the other child's name is Jesus. But they're in two separate wombs separated by two thin layers of cutaneous tissue. When the mothers got together and the two boys are in their mother's womb and you are unconscious in your mother's womb. Jesus was not reading the Jerusalem Tribune while he was in his mother's womb. He was totally unconscious. He was connected to his mother by the umbilical cord, but there was no Aristotelian thought there was no syllogistic reasoning going on in his mind in his mother's womb or else he wouldn't be human he was unconscious in his mother's womb when mary got together with elizabeth the bible says that the child john leapt in his mother's womb he was unconscious in his mother's womb. Yet, in his unconscious state, he had a revelation of who Jesus is while he was in his mother's womb. Two boys unconscious in their mother's womb. And when the mothers got close, the Bible says John left and received the Holy Spirit and he didn't tarry for it, he didn't say Jesus, 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 Jesus he received the Holy Spirit while he was unconscious in his mother's womb he got a revelation of who Jesus is 
while he was unconscious in his mother's womb. Now, later, the conscious John I hope you're all with me now. The conscious John sent word to Jesus and asked, are you the one? Or should we look for another? The unconscious John had a revelation of who Jesus is while the conscious John had trouble trying to figure him out. Never let your mind hinder your revelation. My relationship with God then is not intellectual. He has to reveal himself. And the uniqueness of who you are cannot be duplicated or imitated. So you don't sell who you are to be anybody else. Because you are the best person who you are. And God gives you a revelatory experience with him that he doesn't give to anybody else. That's why we share. Are you with me? Because of that then, I'm not in the business of trying to clone people. Because if you were like me, you cheat me. You cheat me. You cheat me. You were wrong because you cheated me. You cheat me of you. In your effort to be like me, when I'm the best me that I can be, and you can't be as good a me as I can be me. But you cheat me. Because in your effort to duplicate me, and you can't duplicate me as well as I can be me, you cheat me of you. And I need you in your idiosyncratic conceptualization of God to help me to get a picture of God that I can't get by myself. So you don't have to be anybody other than you because that's who God called. He called you to be you. To understand him in a manner that nobody else can understand him as you understand him. Because of the uniqueness of your situation, your cognitive energy, your intellectuality, your revelatory experiences, only you. So when you get up to preach, you get up to preach what God has given you. You understand me? And we're going to, listen, I got a lot of work to do here today. So we're going to work. So this is not to clone you. This is not to say that who you are is any less than anybody else. No. Your uniqueness, your idiosyncratic conceptualization of God, 
that he has given you, nobody can duplicate or imitate it. I want to go further and I want to say something that may shake you. I don't know if you're able. You know, I don't know. Uh, my prophet is over there. He, you know, he said there's some things I'd like to tell you that you're not able to bear. I was so mad with the Hebrew church when he said, because see, he was going to give me some insight to Melchizedek. He said some things I want to talk about Melchizedek, but you're not able to bear. Now, that's a problem for me because I'm sitting there wanting to know what he couldn't tell them. So since he couldn't tell them, I can't get it. Are you all with me? So I'm mad with the Hebrew church and I'm saying, y'all should have been more mature. So Paul could have, tell, could have told you about Melchizedek and I would have the information. Now I don't have the information because they weren't able to bear. I want to say to you, as crazy as it may sound, that each one of us in this building creates our own conceptualization of God. Should I let that soak for a minute? I don't care if you have the same pastor, the same teacher, read the same Bible. Your conceptualization of God is uniquely yours and you create it. Here's the wonderful part. If you have created within the parameters of your consciousness a little beanie tiny God, you can't impose that on me. If you choose to feel like he can't solve your problems, you can't impose that on me. Because my conceptualization of God is not dependent on how you think of God. So if you think he can't take care of your business, you can't impose that on me. Because I created a monstrous, huge God who can handle any situation at any time in any space. And the wonderful thing is that he does not allow you to dictate to me how I feel about him. This is not to clone you because you were great all by yourself. You don't have to be like anybody else. Because your conceptualization of God is yours and nobody can duplicate it or imitate it. Now let's go further. I told the bishop, I said, give me enough time. I'm tired, but you know, I've been tired before. So what I want to do now is give some instruction to many a preacher who has not gone to seminary. Because all of us did not go to seminary. And I'm going to tell you something that there is no business classes in seminary. Have you been to a seminary, uh, to, to any college or seminary where they had a business class? 
Your gift is going to bring in money and you won't know how to manage it. I'll leave that alone. Your gift, your gift. All right, so let's move. Let's move to the next one now. So we're not cloning you. Now, we define preaching as the art and science of spoken communication of divine truth with the view to persuade. Spoken communication of divine truth. Now, thank you, Bishop. Which means... If you're not dealing with Jesus, you're not dealing with the gospel and you're talking about morality and how you ought to behave, what you're doing, what you're not doing, what you should do, you're not preaching. You're having a talk on morality. You're having a talk on how people ought to behave. You're having a talk about sin. If you are preaching, you're dealing with the art and science, and somebody ought to question that, the art and science of spoken communication of divine truth, and you're doing that with a view to persuade. That's preaching. I'm going to jump a little bit too quickly. Your intent determines your content. Should I say that again? I know when you are preaching a message that's going, the altar call of your message can only be taking an offering. Oh, I got to see the white of your eyes on this one. I got to come down and talk to you. <laughs> I can sit in my seat and I can tell that the message that you are preaching, the only altar call you can make with that message is to take another offering. <laughs> because your intent Settles your content. If you don't have the right intention, you won't have the right contention. Because intent, one of the problems with preaching is to approach the scripture with a pre-set disposition of what it is you want to say. And what it is you want to say depends on what your intention is when you deal with the people you're preaching to. Intent, content. So the problem is that most of us then takes the scriptures out of context because of our intent. 
to make the scripture say what we want it to say. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to frighten you now. The scripture says, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." That's not talking about a Rolls Royce. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added. That ain't talking about a house. See, your intent will determine your content. And whether you take it out of context. All right, let me, let me, let me do something a little different. I'm in this building right here, and you wake me up, and I'm right here. And you wake me up, I'm right here. And you say to me, well, where are you? Well, I'm against the wall. But where is the wall? The wall is in this building. So my text is the wall, but this is my context. So if I'm approaching my text, I need to stand back and describe the wall in the particular room. So I can't take the text without the context in order to be truthful about what I'm presenting or I can play with your mind. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart is Hebrew Semitism. It's Hebrew poetry. And it's repetitive. It's saying the same thing. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you what you delight in. And that's him. <laughs> Ain't got nothing to do with a car. Or something to do with a house. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What is the context? Food and raiment. Ain't saying nothing about a Rolls Royce. See how quiet you get? What we have done is we have made a relationship with God material. And your relationship with God is not material, not intellectual, not physical. Your relationship with God is spiritual. So you can be broke as Job's turkey. Did he have a turkey? And still be saved. 
Because God is not limited to suburban. He is not limited to what you wear or what you drive. Because what you wear or what you drive does not prove that you have a relationship with God. We have made it material. So if I don't have this or don't have that, then I'm not close to God. The devil is alive. I want to throw this on you now. I'm, I'm going to hurt you. I, I'm not broke, I promise. The meanest animal in the zoo is not the devil. The devil has never been regarded as the root of all evil. The root of all evil is not the devil. The root of all evil is the love of money. Not having money, not not having money, but loving it. See how quiet you get? You can hear a rat licking ice in here. The love of money distorts the presentation of the word of God. Because if my intent is money, then my content is going to be perverted. Because I'm going to preach in a way to get your money and not preach to save your soul. You're all quiet, ain't you? Your intent will determine your content. And you will take scriptures out of context to prove the point that you intend to prove based on what it is you want to convey. So now, let's go further. I call it the art and science. And we, we, I, I, I know what the other one was, so you can stay right there. I call it the art and science because science means that there is a set way to do something. But it's art form because it's idiosyncratically you. So in preaching as opposed to writing, your personality comes out in your presentation and God is fine with that. Who you are is going to be evidenced in your presentation and that makes it an art. How you do it makes it science. So the uniqueness of who you are is evident in your presentation and that is an art form. Because nobody can be like you in your uniqueness. So your presentation is yours and that makes you an artist. 
But how you approach the scripture is now science. Let me put it it there. The man said, the man said, he said, I want want the Bible to speak to me. So he closed his eyes real tight. Shut the Bible up. He opened the Bible and he pointed to a scripture. The scripture said, Judas went out and hung himself. <sighs> says, let me try this again. So he, he, he closed the Bible real tight, closed his eyes real tight so he wouldn't cheat. And he opened the Bible, point to a scripture, opened his eyes. And it says, go thou and do likewise. Say, let me let me try this again. <laughs> that ain't working too well. Close his eye real tight and open the Bible. Point to the scripture. And that that thou doest, do it quickly. Now he operated in the scriptures, but he didn't deal with the context. See, it's important when you approach a scripture that you understand the context so that you're not presenting something that is detached from the scriptures based on what it is you want to say. I got, I got big problems. I got big problems in America. I got big problems. And one of the problems I have is when people say that they are conservative or liberal and they approach the Constitution from a liberal or a conservative point of view, they go with an intent. So they make it say what they want to say. When you approach the scriptures, you approach it with an open mind. No intent. So that you can get from God what he wants you to have to share with his people. Don't pervert the scripture because of what you think you need. Because God will take care of anybody. Whenever God gives a vision, he gives provision for vision. And I'm a witness that if you want God to operate in your life, be good to other people. Don't ever think that favor comes to people who aren't favorable. Should I go over that again? In order for you to have favor, you have to be favorable. If you want friends, you got to make yourself friendly. I'm the man of God. I'm the man of God. So we're going to worship you now? He that is greatest among you, let him be the servant. One of the things that have twisted us, especially my young, my young brothers, is that you look at people who have been preaching for years and years, and somebody said, well, how much did they give you? They, Man, that's a whole lot of money they gave you for one hour. I said, no, it ain't no one hour. It's my whole life. Are you following me? It ain't one hour. See, when it comes to delivering the word of God, 
it has a lot to do with who you are. Your life is on the line. And the integrity that you have to bring to the pulpit is inclusive of what you do in the private. I wish I could talk to you here. So I don't preach for money. You can't pay me to preach. You ain't got enough money. I don't preach for money. Money is simply a byproduct of what I love to do. Now Jakes puts it this way, the bishop, when we talk. He says, when you're preaching, Noel, what we're doing is we are massaging the text enjoying the text but somebody else is listening should I say that again I'm loving the text in its purity in its truth in its veracity in its power I'm loving the text and I'm talking about the text but somebody else is listening So in my private time, I'm enjoying the text. But that enjoyment in my private time, I put it in public. So that the purity of the text always stays within the parameters of my own mind. And my own love for God in the word. But I'm doing it and you just happen to be listening. So it's my engagement into the word. And the purity and truth of the word that you just happen to be listening. You listening to me talking to God or God talking to me through his word. So I have no ill intent. So I have purity of content. I wonder if somebody hearing me. So you've got idiosyncratic and creative you ain't got to sound like anybody else sound like yourself but then you also have structure and principle you got to deal with the hermeneutics you got to deal with that text and tell the truth about that text you got to deal with the critical analysis you got to deal with the historical analysis you can't approach the text in a modern way without dealing with the historical situation that motivated the writing of the text so that you can be truthful in your presentation and touch people's lives. Let's move on. Let's go to Martin Lloyd-Jones. Let's, uh, I want to do this. I think that's important. Martin Lloyd... He was asked the question, who is the greatest preacher that you have ever heard? <laughs> who is the greatest preacher? He said, I can't answer that. He said, I can't answer who the greatest preacher is. Go to the next slide. 
But I can tell you who I have heard the greatest preaching from. Do you see the difference? I can't tell you who the greatest preacher is. Because in order to tell you who the greatest preacher is, I got to get involved in his private life. I got to get involved with his behavior. I got to understand how he acts and how he operates from a moral point of view. So I can't tell you who the greatest preacher is. Because to tell you who the greatest preacher is, I got to know the individual intimately. Let me just do something different. Most people who come to our churches are attracted to our gifts. So they understand our gifts, but they don't know our character. That's why sometimes you say, I'm so surprised, I'm surprised. I didn't know he was like that. Because you are attracted to the preacher's gift, but not his character. You don't know his character. To tell you who the greatest preacher is, you got to know his character. But Martin Lloyd-Jones says, I can't tell you who the greatest preacher is, but I can tell you who I've heard the greatest preaching from. Are you with me? Oh, we're going to get deep now. We're going to get, I'm going to come down your, 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 your pew in a minute. Your gift can put you in the stars and your character bring you under the basement. We've got a lot of gifted people that we don't use. Because they don't have any character. Yes. The sustenance of your gift is predicated on the quality of your character. Character holds your gift. If you don't spend time building your character... Your gift won't mean anything to anybody. I'm serious. That's why the purity of your presentation is significant. Because you have to have the right intent. When you make your presentation, you got to have the right intent. And the intent is character based. Your preaching is a gift. My preaching is a gift. Period. You can wake me up in the middle of the night. And I will give you a word. A gift. Nobody works for a gift. Now, you got to argue with me. You just can't take what I say. You got to argue. You stir your gift but your gift is freely given 
you stir it. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I'm 73. I've been preaching a long time. And people will say to me, uh, Noel, you ain't got to study. Just get up and preach. Now, study to show yourself approved unto who? So even after the church fell out, the question is, did God approve? The folk are slain in the spirit, falling all over them. But the question is, did you impress God with that? If you are seeking to impress God, then you never stop studying. Because you can't get to the place where you got God saying, hey, preach Jones. He's sitting in heaven looking at me down here. Oh man, uh, Gabriel, he's preaching, ain't he? That Jones is preaching. Oh, yes, Lord. Whenever you understand in your mind that you are seeking to get God's approval, you'll never stop studying. You'll never relax and think you got it made because of the amount of people who come to your church. You'll never. You always intentionally go after it. Because who? I'm seeking to meet God. He says now, character and giftedness. We need to talk about that. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, I keep under my body and bring it under subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. The preacher has to work seriously on his character. Because giftedness, let me tell you something about giftedness. Anytime you read in the Bible where there's a gift given, you will always see the writer, particularly Paul, saying, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And what that, from the Greek, what that means is, don't be insane. Because it's insanity when you think yourself better than you are. But it's insanity when you think yourself less than you are. As you ought. Did you see that? Think of yourself as you ought. Because two or three people pat you on the back and give you a few nice comments about your preaching... Don't let it get to your head. Amen. Because one of the things I have discovered in my life is that what God resists, he resists the proud. But he giveth more grace to the humble. Might I say to you that you don't ever want God to resist you. 
can I, can I digress for a minute? We see Jesus and Jesus is in the wilderness. And when you see Jesus in the wilderness, you, you could say, go Jesus, go Jesus, because he's really straightening the devil out, isn't he? But look at that same Jesus in the garden. Now notice now, the powers he had in the wilderness. So in, in a dry place, he exhibits power. But in the garden... He looks weak. Are you all with me? Your problem is not going to be in the wilderness. Your problem is going to be in the garden. See, a whole lot of folk stay close to God in the wilderness but they move away from him in the garden if it be possible let this cup pass from me he was in, in the wilderness says, go Jesus, go Jesus, talk that devil down tell me, just tell him off but in the garden he's struggling if it be possible let this cup pass from me let me put it to you this way when you are fighting the enemy, the devil, you got God on your side. But when you're dealing with God, who do you have on your side? All right, so we want to have breakfast this morning. We're going to have some breakfast. And... We decided we want ham and eggs. Right? The chicken can give us the eggs and still be alive. But if you're going to give me some ham, somebody got to die. Your calling is a calling that is so enveloping that it takes your whole life. When God calls you in the garden, and he ended up with hemohydrosis in the garden. Hemohydrosis is the complexity of his humanity and his divinity was so intense that instead of sweat coming out of his sweat glands, he had bloody sweat. All because of the intensity of humanity and divinity at war within the parameters of his own body. When you're dealing with God, it's ham. It ain't eggs. Yeah, he'll help you defeat the devil, but who you gonna call when you gotta deal with him? Nobody. If preaching is not your life, you shouldn't be here. Hear me when I tell you. It's not something, it's, it, it, it ain't a part-time nothing. 
It's full time everything about you. Uh, when we talk, uh, that's my prophet there. W- when we talk, we don't talk about people. Every time we get together, it's Bible. The greatest lessons I have ever had was not in seminary. It was sitting around a table with your pastor, sitting around with my brothers and sisters, and talking about the things of God. Now, never confuse your giftedness as a pass to have a severe lack of character. Every woman that's falling out when you preach ain't falling out in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're preaching because you want to be popular with the women, you already got a problem. You can never see what they see in you. The first time you begin to see how good looking you are, you know I'm really good looking. You're getting ready for a fall. Anytime you begin to think that you're all that you're getting ready for a fall do you ever you ever been teaching and all of a sudden you feel something you feel something moving something shifted people need to see God in you not you in God. They need to see God in you. Your presentation is not to stimulate flesh. It is to operate in spirit and touch people spiritually. You ain't all that. Ain't nobody all that. God makes us look good. Are you all with me? God makes us look good. Do you know how God covers the preacher? How God deals with his mind, his thoughts, how God gives him revelatory experiences and gives him the articulation to present what God shows him so that somebody else can receive what God has shown him? God makes you look good. It ain't you. So stop feeling like you're the cat's meow and the dog's bow wow. It's God who needs the glory in your life. That's why he couldn't say who the greatest preacher was. The message will save and the messenger can end up lost. Did you hear me? Mm -hmm. The respect that God has for his word is unquestionable. All right, let me give it, let me, let me, let me let's, let, let's break it down. Let's break it down. The Bible says if you're sick, you call for the elders of the church. If you call for the elders of the church and the elder that you call was not living right, would God honor his prayer? Would 
Will he honor the fact that you called for the elder without knowing the elder's character? But you did what God said. God honors his word. He don't care what that elder doing. Once you have faith to call him, he will honor his word. That's what God does. Now, in him honoring his word, you got to understand that there is something called orge. Righteous indignation that God has. And the reason he does not use uh, epithumia is because that wrath, if God were to slap this room, all of us are dead. He's not wrathful. But he has righteous indignation. And he has a day set when he's going to take care of whoever is not right. He is going to judge them. The thing that God does with preachers is he shows us so much grace until we lose our reputation with the way we live to the point where we're no more effective because our reputation is so bad that we cannot meet any standard and that's when we're finished he gives you all the time in the world to repent and get yourself together and you refuse to do it and so your giftedness is not significant because your character has ruined everything and at that point you have outlived his mercy. Now we got to judge you. Don't get quiet now. You signed up for this job. Your life changes. You can't do what you, everybody else does and maintain the integrity of your calling. Let's go further. Now, I need to say something to you and not give you license to be wrong. Everybody in here has a secret they don't want somebody else to know. I gotta see the white of your eyes on this one. <laughs> to do this because I think it's important to understand that giftedness you don't work for that it's a gift your preaching is a gift your calling gift God called you but you have to work on your character character is not developed overnight you will make mistakes You will make mistakes. Because that's all a part of the development of character. Is being able to understand the mistakes that you make and move from those mistakes. Everybody needs somebody to talk to. Hear me preachers. I had a situation years ago where I was over a particular church 
And the pastor of the church was in trouble with his character. I'm a good friend of his, but he never ever told me what he was struggling with. I had to hear it by the wayside. Struggling with his character. Love to gamble. Leave the church and go on a Sunday and go somewhere gambling. And I heard where he was. And I called and I said, is so-and-so in there? They said, yes. I said, give him the phone. Now, how in the world are you going to be in the wrong place and take a call? Talk to me, man. You're in the wrong place and you're going to answer the phone. I said, how do I know where you are? How do I know? You never told me you hung out here. Somebody is singing, man. Somebody is telling on you and you got the unmitigated goal to answer the phone. Everybody needs somebody to talk to. When you are struggling with your flesh, you need somebody to talk to. Let me put it another way. Talking about me. You can't repent as well as I can. I can be real repenting after I've done something. Here's how God speaks to me. Talk to me before you do it. So I can give you strength not to do it. You, you got to understand what I'm saying is this. You can't talk to everybody. But you need to talk to somebody when you're struggling. Because everybody in here, when you're called to preach, you become a target. Satan wants to shut your mouth. And he'll target you. And things you thought you had power over will rise up again. And if you operate in pride... You're doomed. Because humility is what God honors. He resists pride. Stop comparing your ministry with anybody else's. Amen. No, no, but stop. Stop. Because the uniqueness that you have and someone else has, it can't be compared. I talk to Dixon all the time, and, and, and when Dixon gets a, a thought from God, and I'm saying to myself, and I've read that scripture every day. 
How come I didn't see that? Your uniqueness needs not to be compared. And you got to understand the saints. The saints will mess with your mind when they make comparisons. Can I talk to you about that? Paul had the same problem. Some thought Cephas. Some thought Apollos. Some thought Peter. Cephas. Saints make comparisons about preachers. And if you get carried away with popularity or lack of popularity, you're already in trouble. You are who you are, uniquely who you are, and God speaks to you in a way that he does not speak to me. I'm 73 years old. And they still call me around the world. Why? Everything has an expiration date. So how come I haven't expired yet? Particularly when I'm dealing with a group of people in a geopolitical environment that I'm passing out of. I'm on the way out. At 73, I'm on the way out. So why am I still significant? Because I mentor younger people. And in talking to younger people, I get an insight to how they operate in the optimum relationship they have with their community. Uh, that was a little too verbose. Let me make it more simple. When I mentor young men, I listen when I mentor. Why? Because I am not connected to the environment as well as they are. For instance, you see that machine right there? That computer thing I got up there? If that thing goes blank on me, I, I, I got to call my grands, my grandson, my grand, the grandchildren say, can you fix this for me? Who am I calling? Grandchildren. Why? Because they are connected. The reason we have church here is we have assemblers and we have connectors. The reason our churches were declining was because when the Lord told us to go into all the world, we didn't think that cyberspace was all the world. So now all of a sudden you got to go into all the world. You got to go to cyberspace. Well, who's in cyberspace? Millennials and Gen Z's. Not baby boomers and X's. So in order to extend my shelf life, I have to listen to who I mentor. They bring me back into the current situation and give me the current wisdom. So I give them the sage old wisdom and they give me the current wisdom so it extends my shelf life. I want you to do something. We're going to uh, give me the next screen, but I want you to look at something else. I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
and I think it's verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I love your security, uh, your security bishop. I mean, they stand and they look. My security, they get happy and speak in tongues and they want to dance. And a woman come and hit my wife, hit my wife. With a security man standing right beside him. Yeah, yeah. Hit my wife. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm getting upset right I fired everybody I fired everybody and I called I'm going to tell you who I called I called Puff Daddy Sean Combs and I said send me one of them gangster security men you got over there so he can protect my wife because these saints ain't doing nothing I need a gangster. Uh, oh, I called him up. I said, send me one of them gangsters. Read that, that text. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Somebody read it. Read it. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses... Among many witnesses, the same commit thou a faithful man, thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Now, the things that thou has heard, thou say one. Everybody say one. one. Of me say two. Commit to faithful men say three. And they will teach others four. In that one verse, you got four generations. One of the problems we have is somehow we feel that we're competing with younger men and younger women in ministry. You never compete with your father. You only compete with your brother. Preachers need to be fathered. I wish somebody would hear what I'm saying. You need to be fathered. And you, listen. I, I had, I, I had a leered 25. I had a Lear 35 and a Lear 25. Private jet. I get into the jet and I got to bend down to get into the jet and I got to sit. I can't stand in, in the Lear 35 because it's too small. I'm six, three and a half, six, four. I can't stand up in the jet. I got to get in and sit down and I can sit comfortably and, and all, all that. Now, if I get in a 737, I got to bow my, I got to bend down to get in the door. And I can't stand completely upright. 
if I get into a 757, I don't have to bow at the door and I can stand straight up. If I get into a 380-800 Airbus, I can reach up and touch the ceiling. I can stand completely. Triple seven, stand completely. 767, stand completely. 747, stand completely. But in the lair, I got to stay bent down. The leadership that you need and I need is a leader that I can be all that I am and he or she is not intimidated. Do you understand? You need to have the kind of leadership that understands your giftedness. See, I understand when somebody under me, it's time for them to do their own ministry. Because as a leader, I'm supposed to know when it's time for you to go. for you to go because you have received from me everything that I can give you and God is moving you to another level I'm not competing with you Jakes and I we talk all the time people say well Jones is better than Jakes Jakes is better than Jones Jones is better than Jakes and it ain't never bothered us why because his uniqueness, his idiosyncratic conceptualization of God, I can't imitate or duplicate. I read a text and call him and say, man, I got a thought here, but you need to preach this. Because I can't preach this like you can. But here is my thought. Take it. Preach it. We're not, we're not going to fight. Because we understand that God's calling on your life is so uniquely yours. But you need a leader who is not intimidated by how gifted you are. I don't want to be in a plane I got to bend down. I want to stand up. I want to be in a situation that I can stand up and be all that I am and you're not intimidated. I'm going to tell you a secret. Whenever you have a great preacher in a church, people don't get called to preach in the church I pastor very often. Because they understand the standard. So there ain't nobody rushing to, I'm called to preach. You call to preach when you ain't got a preacher. When you have somebody who knows how to divide the word of God, you ain't going to be rushing to preach. You rushing to preach because you ain't seen the standard. When that bar is high, my son said to me on one of my birthdays, my son said, he said, whenever I think I'm capable of handling the level my father is on, he moves the bar. 
keep on moving the bar so that when young men and young women walk into your presence they understand that the standard that you are expecting is high so they don't get carried away with mediocrity they don't get carried away with the inability to convey the word of God. They say, well, well, Bishop, why did you use such words? I say, because the subject is lofty. The subject is, is great. It calls for great vocabulary. You're our communicator. You're speaking to people. So you have to have the vocabulary that is commensurate to the subject matter that you're presenting. If you can't read, you need to learn the scripture by heart so that when you get up here, you're not fumbling over the words. Anyway, the preacher is always inferior to the message. The message is greater than you, greater than me, greater than any one of us. Let me put it another way. A friend of mine, he's now, he's, he's gone to be with the Lord and he died at, uh, I think it was 89 when he died, the late Bishop Arthur Brazier, Chicago. Now, just to give an example of who I'm talking about. At his funeral, the president's wife was at his funeral. All of the staff members from the White House, Obama was president then, Obama went to visit him in the hospital when he was sick. Just to give you a background. The mayor was there. All the senators, the governor, everybody from Illinois was there. So I went to see him. And prostate cancer had devastated him so horribly, he pulled his pants and showed me where his pants used to be and where he was now. I don't know how it came out of my mouth. Sometimes you say things you don't know why you say them. I said to him, I said, uh, Bishop, isn't it interesting that none of us is indispensable? I wish I could have taken it back. I said, how in the world did I say? And I saw the machination of his mind. His mind began to churn. And he finally, here's what he said to me. He said, Noel, none of us is indispensable, but some of us are irreplaceable. Oh. You want to live your life because if you're not indispensable, Peter, James, and John would still be here if there's indispensability. But you want to live your life in ministry that you are irreplaceable. 
you have to take your ministry as your life. As your life. And there is no woman, there is no... Listen, of the making of beautiful women, there is no end. Talk to these preachers, man. (laughs) Of the making of beautiful women, there is no end. You have to end it. talk to you because because see see the preachers when I was coming along I have gone to an anniversary service I've gone to the preacher wedding anniversary service because you know we know how to get birthday we know how to get an offering we get an offering on our anniversary we get an offering on our wedding day we we I've been to every service that gave accolades to the preacher. But I've never been to a service where he says, I'm celebrating because I almost lost my church because of indiscretion. See, I will forever tell you my strengths, but you won't hear my weakness. And the truth is that all preachers, pastors, teachers, leaders need to understand that there is danger in this business. You ain't got to say nothing. Just be quiet. But I'm telling you, I'm looking through you. Right now. I am looking through you right now some folks the popularity they get because of preaching they could never have in regular life and if you don't understand it and don't handle it properly it'll ruin your ministry of the making of beautiful women there is no end you have to end it. You ever been teaching and you feel something? And, and yeah, and you know, I don't want to take them too, too far because you might not be able to handle it. Let me talk to you African men because you all need to treat your women better anyway. You need to understand that femininity should not be reduced because of physicality. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) Explain. The only difference that you have 
and a woman is because of dimorphism. She has to carry the baby. So her body is different from yours. But notice, if I, I'm, I'm doing a new building and I love this pulpit, I might have to imitate it. The, I'm doing a new building. I'm going to have an architect come and draw the plans. The architect may be a woman, may be a man. It doesn't matter because architecture is architecture whether a female is handling it or a male. Intellectuality, cognitive energy, creativity is mental. Preaching the gospel is spiritual. So femininity does not make it any different if it's spiritual or intellectual. In other words, you are looking at her physicality, but you're not looking at her mentality. So you push her aside because she's female. But you have missed the point that her significance is not in her physicality. It's in her intellectuality, her spirituality, and who she is. Because if you check the Bible closely, you will find that no gift of the spirit is gender driven. Hear me when I tell you. Part of the problem that you're going to have is when you don't respect the woman you're with. When you don't respect your wife. Man, it's quiet up here. When you don't respect the woman you're with, you're going to have a problem. Because she is your buffer to keep you from any negative woman situation. And women and money destroys preachers more than anything. Amen. All right. Now you say, you know, when I get older, uh, you know, age is going to change me. All right. You're 18. You're 18. And if you got any sense at all, you're 18. You don't go down the ladder past 17. And that's stretching it. You're 18. She's 17. You're going to have some trouble. Now, you're 18. You go down the ladder one year, but you can go up the ladder 10 or 15 years if you so decide. You can be 18. She can be 40. And you ain't got a problem. So you're getting older now. You're 28. You're 28. You can go down the ladder 12 years. And go up the ladder as much as you want. Now you're 50. You can go down the ladder 20 something years. I'm 73. And 30 year olds hit on me. You're 60, and they're hitting on you 
and they 30. So you can go down the ladder 30 years and you can go see grandma if you choose. So when does it get better? Don't let anybody, when it comes to the message, you are always inferior to your message. And whatever you have to do to maintain the integrity of your message, you do it. Amen. Amen. You don't let nobody. I will give everybody and everything up to maintain the integrity of my message. I will walk away from anything. There is no car. There is no house. There is nothing that I could possess that could make me walk away from what I'm doing right now. Why? Because I'm inferior to my message. My message will outlive me. My message will go when I'm through and done. And you have to understand that, that your calling is sacred. And you cannot allow your libido to drive you crazy because some woman leaned on you. Hear me. And if you have a problem, talk about it. David didn't have a problem when he got to Bathsheba. David had a problem all his life. David's problem was not Bathsheba. David had a woman problem all his life. He's running from Saul and he picked up two girls. Saul is coming. Come on. This ministry is serious, but we're going to move on. Let's move on. What time is it now? All right, now we're going to deal with something else. We're going to move up from the character. Now we're going to talk about content versus delivery. And you see that truck I put up there? I was driving some years ago from Longview, Texas. When I passed it in Longview, I'm going to New York. And I'm going up 65 North. And I'm coming up 65 North, and I looked in my rearview mirror. It had CB those days, you know, CB. Uh, breaker 1-9 for that 18-wheeler uh, going north on 65. I said, man, his truck, he had Bugs Bunny all over the truck. I'm doing 85. And this 18-wheeler is coming up the hill to pass me. I'm doing 85. And I'm saying, uphill, the big truck. And I'm saying, man, what are you doing? What do you have in that truck? He says, I've got 500 horses in the engine, and I'm putting 425 on the axle. Which means, uh, God is the only one who, when he gives you dunamis, he sends dunamis with energia. And energia carries dunamis so that when you get the power of his dunamis, you don't lose any power. Because he takes one power to bring you the other power so that you don't lose any power. But in a truck, the engine 
lose its power when it goes to the axle, to the, to the wheel. You're losing power because it takes power to drive that. He said, I got 450 on the axle. I said, man, but you're going so fast. How are you doing that? He says, I'm going fast because I don't have a load. The truck was beautiful as a delivery system, but he didn't have any content. I, I, I got to work with you. I got to work with you. Many great preachers are not called because they don't have a delivery. Should I say that again? You got, you got three categories of saints that you would preach to. Three. One. Who said it? They will not receive it unless a certain person said it. Two. Not who said it, but how it is said. They will not receive it unless it's said a certain way. The most educated saint is not how, is not who, but what is said. All right, give an example. I'm going to, I, I'm going to walk across the front to that step over there. I'm going to walk across to the step. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk from here and I'm going to the step. Mm. Mm. Oh Lord, I'm going to walk across the front to the step. Mm. Touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm walking across the front to get to the step. Give somebody a high five. <laughs> now, all I said was, I'm walk across the front and go to the stairs. <laughs> you see now, many people are not heard because they don't have the style. So you got a lot of preachers with delivery, but they ain't got no content. I want to talk to you here. We love to mimic who we admire, but we can only mimic the delivery because we are not exposed to how those we admire derive their content. Anybody who imitates you only imitates your style. But they can't imitate your content because they don't know how you derived your content. Some of you are trying to style your way into ministry instead of having content in ministry. 
The people who will appreciate you are the people who will understand that your content supersedes your delivery. Hear me, hear me, hear me. It's real important because I listen to many a man and woman preaching who are exercised in the word, deep in the word, but not popular. Because they don't have the style. Mm. Oh, heard him when he said, walk before me and be holy. Oh, Lord, see me through in the time of trouble. Oh, Lord. So I shake the mic. Jake, Jake tried it one time and knocked his teeth out. <laughs> he said, I ain't going to do that again. Style. How did I get... My influence was Bishop Robert W. McMurray in terms of style. But my initial presentation came from Bishop James Johnson in terms of content. McMurray, who I succeeded as pastor, was a comedian. So his style was punchline oriented. He did, and then he'd go to a punchline and jump to another thought, but he was extremely extemporaneous. There was no expository. His subject carried him. He would preach things like wild ass on the loose. That was his subject. And, and you go to the Old Testament when it says Israel was like a heifer. And his subject is leave that heifer alone. Spectacular subject. But no content. People grow with expository preaching. When you explain it verse by verse, that's how saints grow. And it don't have to be exciting. How many pastors I have here? Let me tell you something about pastoring as opposed to being an evangelist. An evangelist has to make it work that night. That night. That night. Because he's coming for one night. He better have everybody falling out for one night. A pastor is like a man with a wife. An evangelist is a man with a girlfriend. No way. Now, I was home minding my own business. You all call me. <laughs> now, with a wife, you ain't got to be spectacular tonight. Hey, babe, I, it didn't work out so well tonight, but I'll see you tomorrow night. With a girlfriend, you better make it work. 
See, pastors, you can relax when you're dealing with your church. You ain't got to be spectacular, but you have to have content so that the saints will grow, grow. Some people get stuck with baptism, get stuck with early entrance, but they don't grow with the truth of God's word. Sometimes you just need to sit down and talk to the saints. You ain't got to holler at them every day so that they can grow because you're not trying to prove anything to the congregation that God has given you. So you can take your time and, and come back the next week and pick up where you left off. Because saints need to grow. Style is okay. But content. Run on to the next one real quick. And, and I'm getting ready to quit. Now, here is my approach to an effective message. And I'm talking content. You're dealing, first of all, with general theology. Now, when you operate from a general theology point of view, you're going to have to do an historical analysis. You have to ask, why did he write this? What's the difference between him writing to the Hebrew church as opposed to the Roman church, as opposed to the church in Ephesus, what was the situation that stimulated the initial writing? There is no scripture that you will ever read that says to the church in Accra. Maybe I have the wrong Bible. But there is nothing here that says to the church in Accra. Which means that you have to do an historical analysis from a general theology point of view. To see why he wrote what he wrote to the people at the time he wrote it. And that's what you call a critical analysis. Now, in every general theology, you have systematic theology. That's the second thing. Now, if you look in your Bible from a general theology point of view... And you see everything about angels. Now you've got angelology. If you see everything about demons as you read through the Bible. You put it together you got demonology. Everything about the Holy Spirit you got pneumatology. Everything about Christ you got Christology. Everything about God you got theology. Everything about last days you got eschatology. Now you're moving from what's general. So here I'm building a message from Genesis. And I'm talking about angels. I take that text, but I can add everything else about angels from anywhere in the Bible. Because now I'm presenting angelology. If I'm talking about the devil, demonology, satanology, Christology, pneumatology. Soteriology. That's all systematic because as I read through, I can take this out and say this belongs here, that belongs there, and it 
fortifies my message wherever I am. Now, the only other thing is word studies. And from my point of view, it's syntactical and lexical. The syntactical is me breaking down the Greek word and rebuilding the word in my own language. All right? For instance, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. I thought he knew everybody. I thought he said that he knows the hair on your head. Depart from me, I never knew you. How is that possible when he knows he's omniscient? He knows everybody. Huh? So what is he saying? I never knew you. Now you have to find the particular word that he's using. He is not using oida, which is perceptive knowledge. He oidas everybody, but he does not gnosko everybody. I know the number of your head, on the, the hair on your head, but we don't have an experience together. And whatever experience we had was bad. So we have one word for love. But I don't love my wife the way I love my car. Man, I love my car. I love my wife. I love my dog. I love my clothes. We use one word for love. Love. But you don't love your wife the way you love your car. Huh? So the Greeks, when the fullness of time had come, what God did was... He brought Jesus into play at the time when the Greek language was universal. So the Greeks have at least four words for love. To describe the exact love. One, phileo, brotherly love. Eros, man-woman love. Erotic. That's where the word erotic comes from. We're not going to agape. We'll save that for last. Give me another one. Storge. Family love. You don't love your children the way you love your wife or your husband. And then you have agape. Agape was a word that was in Greek literature that was not used very often until Paul used it to define the love of God. So now when you're teaching and preaching, you find what particular word is in your text. So that you can give the people the truth. So lexical is relating to the words or vocabulary, vocabulary of a language. Syntactical is relating to the arrangement of words and phrases to create well-formed sentences in a language. You're going into their language and you're bringing it to your language. You follow? This way, you're telling the truth. Next one. Because we're almost ready to quit. I need sleep. 
now I'm going to take you, and I brought some books. I brought a book, and I don't know, I only have, how many books do we have? 15? 16? That's not enough. Hmm? I got to give the, the pastor, he, he's got to have one now. This is a new approach to preaching. Now, who here, who in this building did public speaking? Anybody did, took a public speaking course? Nobody but nobody? You did public speaking. In public speaking, here's what they tell you to do. They tell you to state what you're going to talk about in the introduction. Do it in the body of your presentation and reiterate in your conclusion. Now, I'm a quick study. You can't blame me for being smart. God made me smart. You blame God. I'm intelligent. God made me intelligent. If you tell me what you're going to do in the introduction, I'm through. Because I already got it. And you're going to repeat it in the body of your presentation. I'm bored. I already got it. And you're going to have the unmitigated gall to repeat it in your conclusion. I already got it. When you put it out there, I got it. I'm done. Now. The approach, the new look at the art of speaking and communicating with a view to persuade. Next slide. Is upsetting the equilibrium. I can make a statement in here and nobody will leave until I get done. All right? Jesus. Jesus is entire and Sidon. And the woman hollers at him, says, Jesus, thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And the disciples say, Send her away. Because she hollereth after us. Now notice, when she said, Jesus, thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil, the Bible said, He answered not a word. Didn't say a thing. Now, Lord, it's rude for somebody to talk to you and you not answer. The disciples said, send her away. Jesus says, but I'm not sent. Doesn't say to whom he's speaking. But I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. Doesn't say to who he's speaking. And she says, truth, Lord. Help me. And he says, how can I take the children's bread and give it to the dogs? But it doesn't say to whom he's speaking. She worshiped him saying, help me. And he says, oh, woman. Now he's talking to her. 
Now, I'm going to open up my, my subject, and my subject today is, I'm going to open up and tell you, Jesus is the problem in the text. Ain't nobody going home until I explain that. Jesus is the problem. You know what? I'm going to explain it. But I got to have an offering first. <laughs> this is my prophet, right? So my prophet always, when we're talking, sometimes we're talking on the phone. He's at home in Houston. I'm in L.A. And he drops a nugget on me. And I sent him a Zelle. I, I sent him a cash app. Oh, yeah, he dropped a nugget on me, man. I, 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 sent him, I sent him some money. Because he'll tell you that the prophet, you got to sow into the prophet. <laughs> you got to sow into the prophet's anointing. So, so I sent him a cash app. Here's what he says. He said, now, now you know, I just dropped a nugget on you. Now, if, if Bishop Jake said it, everybody would be falling out. <laughs> so, Jesus did something he told his disciples not to do. He told them, enter not in the way of the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And Jesus shows up in Tyre and Sidon. Now he is being bombarded with a horizontal request that is conflicting with his vertical mission. But I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now you know what my subject is? When grace suspends the rules. He is arguing what his mission is, but faith is calling him. And faith is calling him, even though his mission is to the lost sheep of Israel, he cannot ignore the faith that's taking him out of his mission. Do you understand me? Let me put it another way. There are times when Pastors have to change directions because God leads you a certain way for a certain time and then he moves you in another direction. One of the problems that pastors have when it comes time to make that move is the people who have become complacent with the previous move of God until they don't want to make the next move 
and they will remind you of what you said 15 years ago. So now you're stuck. But Jesus showed me that there are times when God suspends the rules in order to extend grace. So the first thing is, Jesus is the prominent text. He said, what did he say? I know he didn't say that. I know he didn't say that. So the first thing is, oops. The first step in the sermon is preached is to upset the equilibrium of the listener in such a way as to engage them in the sermon theme. They ain't going nowhere. Next one. So the first one we got is, oops. Now the second thing is analyzing the discrepancy. You've raised an issue. Now, my Baptist boys call that arguing the text. That's what my Baptist friends, they said, we're going to argue the text. In other words, Jesus is the problem. Now let's solve the problem that you have raised because you said he was a problem. Now explain that to me. Analyze. The second stage is analysis or diagnosis in most sermons this is the most lengthy of the five often requiring as much delivery time as all the other stages combined arguing the text proving what you just said ain't nobody going home they are watching you you said Jesus is the problem prove it next one now so we got oops we got, oops, now we got, oh, now we got disclosing the clue to the resolution. Sometimes when you're preaching, you hold, you hold on to the solution. You don't give the solution early. Now they got to follow you. Now if you got a smart congregation, they can see where you're going before you get there. They can see where you're going. But you hold it. Now I will take a subject and hold the subject. So you start with, let me, let me, let me put it this way now. I'm going to deal with the issue of the omniscience and the power of God. And I'm going to say something like, his power is so great that nothing can stand in his way. But I can't tell you touch your neighbor and say that, it's too long. Touch your neighbor and say his power is so great, nothing can stand in his way. So I got a subject, but I got a subtitle. Touch your neighbor and say he's so great. You can do that. Touch your neighbor and say God is so great that nothing can stand. That's too long. So even though you have a subject, you end up with a subtitle so that you can inspire. So let me go over that again. In preaching, my preaching, 
is information, instruction, and invigoration. Information, take my time, deliver my information. Then I give instruction, then I give inspiration. You follow me? Now, many of us go to inspiring before we inform. Because we let the crowd dictate our pace. <laughs> because in many instances, we want, the pace, we want the people to fall out and people to pass out and shout and jump so that we can feel good about what we did. So we are concerned about style instead of substance. Because when you lay in, when, when, when you really lay in information, people have to think about it. Let me go another way. Most of us are storytellers. So most of us preach from the Old Testament. I want to see the white of your eyes now. Because you got to tell a story. See, storytelling engages the audience. Hebrew is descriptive, but Greek is definitive. In Greek, you define. If you define, people have to think. And when they are thinking, you don't think they're responding, so you get nervous preaching. So you got to tell a story. I was preaching, uh, you know, I, I made the mistake. I was in Switzerland, and I was preaching, and they were interpreting in four different languages, German, French, Swiss, English. I mean, it was, it was a mess. And I didn't tone down my vocabulary, which I, I should have shut my vocabulary down and make it for seven or, or fifth grade. So while I'm preaching, I said something and the interpreter just stopped. I said, what's going on? I don't know how to say that word in our language. You follow me? So I learned a lesson. I, I, I learned a lesson. I said, man, you got to bring the thing down, man. Because at the end of the day, it's not esoterical. You want people to hear. You want them to know what you're saying. So you get caught up in your own, intoxicated with the exuberance of your verbosity, but then nobody know what you're talking about. So what good is that? You see, many times we go to inspiration before we give in formation here is why the choir sings the people are excited and you get up to preach so you feel you got to get up on the same level that the choir was singing but then you ain't fit enough see another thing about preaching is you got to be fit 
Amen. Uh, no, seriously, you got to be fit. You can't be eating all the time at night. And the Lord said, oh, he brought me up. Are you scaring me, man? Well, you're going to drop dead any minute. See, first of all, you don't need to be dragging it across your throat because you're going to end up hoarse. Take a clean breath. And he brought me out with a mighty hand. You're not dragging. We're about to fall out. I'm over here nervous. I'm saying, y'all pray for the preacher. He's, he's dragging. What is wrong? Clean breath. You, you, you get it? Not dragging across your throat, your horse. I preach, you have never heard me horse. Millions of miles, millions of, of sermons, never been horse. Why? Clean. And the thing I do, I haven't done it lately because of, is I swim for exercise. So it's boom, 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 boom. You see, when this thing is your life, it's your life. You can't tell me you're a preacher and don't like the Bible. You can't tell me you're a preacher and don't like people. You can't stand the saints. Talk to me now. You can't be a carrier of the gospel and not love people. Uh, what time is it? Because I, I, I can go till tonight. The disclosing the clue to the, re- to the resolution is aha. Oops. Oh, aha, now you're beginning to see what he opened with to grab your attention. Now he analyzes it and he breaks it down so that you can understand where he's going. So you go from, oops, oh, aha, go to the next one real quick and we're going to close. Now, then you go to experiencing the gospel. This is all now inspiration. Diagnosis before treatment, interpretation before application. Now, I argue a whole lot with Bishop McClendon, Clarence. And Clarence says all the time, well, you got to have a fresh word. I say, well, what is a fresh word? Mac, I call him Big Mac. I said, what's a fresh word? I will take a fresh word if it is in the application after the interpretation. You're following me. In other words, I go into the text and I interpret what the Bible says and I apply it 
to the time in which I live. I told you earlier, there is no scripture that says to the church in Accra. So what to do? I read Ephesians and I glean from Ephesians what we call axiomatic truth. That's a truth that is true no matter what time you look at it. It's axiomatic. It's always true. So what you do is you glean truth from the Bible, then you apply it to Accra. You apply it to L.A. You apply it to New York. So I preach for every denomination you can think of. And they say, well, how do you preach at the Church of God in Christ? How do you preach at the Apostolics? How do you preach when you go to the Baptist? I just prove the Bible. When you prove the Bible, you don't have to slant it to who you're preaching to. Because it is an axiomatic truth. You preach the scripture. You prove the text. Can't nobody argue with you denominationally if you were scripturally sound. Somebody said, well, Bishop Jones, what denomination are you? I say, I don't believe in any denomination. I'm scriptural. I'm not denominational. I'm scriptural. Prove the text. Oops. Oh. Aha. Yeah. Finally, they come around and say, yeah. Now, one other thing I'm going to do, and then we're going to quit. Anticipating the consequences, discrepancy have been analyzed, the clue to the resolution revealed, the good news experience, a critical matter left is to anticipate the newness of the future, unquote. That is now, I want you to get up out of your seat and say, let me go in the world and do what I just heard. I want you to be so excited at the end that you want an opportunity to express what God has put in your spirit. Now I'm going to do one other thing. Move to the next. How do you build a library? How many books do you have at home? I go to the preacher's, I go to the preacher's house, I see three books. Three books. What are you doing? Three books? What are you going to do with three books? I don't lend my books. I don't lend my books. Any carpenters in here? Anybody carpenter? Architect? Construction worker? You have tools, don't you? Now, I ain't giving no preacher no, none of my books. No, sir. First of all, when they come to my house and I've got 3,000 or 4,000 books, I've got 3,000, no, I've got 5,000 books in that computer. I ain't giving you my books. You buy your books. You buy your own books. Come to my house, man, and took my book and went and died, and I ain't got my book back. Man, went and died. Took my Hegel, took my Hegel and went and died. 
I didn't get my book back. Man just took my books. The young fellas come. Uh, let, me, let me have your pulpit commentary. I said, sign it out. Sign it right here. The day you took it and the day you bring it back, sign right here. <laughs> Why? Because if you're a carpenter, you're going to buy your tools. If you're a preacher, you're going to buy your tools. I'm not going to give you, you know, I'm going to give you. You won't invest in yourself. You won't invest in your ministry. You're going to borrow my books. My own books. Sometimes we have lessons, classes. And I don't need the money, but I ask people to pay. Why? Because if they pay, you know what I'm saying, they're more committed. Bishop Kenneth Ulmer, uh, one of the greatest preachers in the whole wide world, is a good friend of mine, Bishop Kenneth Ulmer. And Ulmer has retired from pastoring. But he, at 75, he's in the university. So I said, Kenny, you over in the university. Why are you in the university? He said, I'm tired of the church folk. I said, why are you tired of the church folk? He says, when I come to preach to the church, it's an elective. They can decide to come or they stay home. He said, when I'm teaching in the university, it's required. They got to come because they paid and I'm writing the degree. You understand what he's saying? What he's saying is, I want to be heard and I want to be seriously looked at and I don't want people playing with my gift. So I'm going to the university because I'm going to give them a degree and if they don't show up, they ain't going to get the degree. So when they sit there, they sit there like, like children waiting to feed. Sometimes you let people pay. Not because you need the money, but because they need the commitment. You understand? So I'm not giving you my books. Buy them. Go buy your books. I'll tell you what to buy. And you go buy it. But I'm not giving it to you because you need to invest in your own ministry. Now, we're going to go further. How do I build a library? Always by who the writer you are reading quotes. You always buy who the writer quotes. Now, let's put it another way. Systematic theology, I'm dealing with systematic theology. And I have a systematic theology book that's just one volume dealing with eschatology, soteriology, theology, Christology, pneumatology, dealing with every 
systematic teaching, but it's one volume. If it's one volume, he's not doing too many details. But if I'm, if I have Thiessen, and Thiessen quotes Shed, and Shed quotes Tillich, and Tillich quotes, I buy up the scale. Whoever the writer quotes, I buy that book. So now I've got three, four generations at my disposal because I buy who the writer quotes. And that's how I build my library. I have at my house right now, in my safe, I don't let anybody see it, I make copies of it. You ever heard the name Paul Tillich? I have a handwritten sermon from Paul Tillich. I got it from Ireland, somebody sent it to me simply because I would quote him. I would say Paul Tillich said, and they sent me his handwritten sermon. Why did I say that? If I'm talking to, the, to Dixon, or I'm talking to your pastor, or anybody here, and they drop a nugget on me, when I get up to preach, I will always say, I was talking to Bishop Dixon, I was talking to Bishop Bempa, and here's what he told me, and here's what I want to use tonight. Why? I don't steal information. And I have news for you. Don't you ever act as if you're dealing with ignorant people when you preach. You're going to take something and act like it's yours. And somebody's going to say, oh, I, I read that last week. I don't know what he's talking about, but the Lord showed him. And the Lord showed her. I, I read that right here. Hey, look right here. Today, you have to be accurate in your presentation because people can sit right in the pew and check anything you say right now. You ain't getting over on nobody. Don't think your congregation is ignorant. So, when you read something that you're going to reproduce, quote it. Tell the saints where you got it from. Nobody thinks you're ignorant you, because you told them, I, I, I read this. I like to talk to people who are well read. Intelligent people read. Intelligent people quote other people. Intelligent people bring something to the table that did not originate with them. Be straightforward with it. You're studying Weiss and Weiss is quoting Vincent, then you buy Vincent. Since Vincent is quoting expositors, then you buy expositors. And expositors is quoting Moulton and Milligan, then you buy Moulton and Milligan. But understand this, as you go up the ladder, it becomes more complicated. As you go up the ladder, because if you're reading Moulton and Milligan, then you're going to have to know Koine Greek. Because as they get higher, they just write the thing in Greek. 
and no English with it. So if you don't know Greek, as you go up the hill, but you go up there far enough to know when to stop. Because it gets so complicated as you go. Uh, finally, we're, all, we're almost through. Anybody here have a, have a commentaries? Who has a commentary? Which one do you have? You have Matthew Henry. What do you have? He has Matthew Henry. Now, I use this as an example. You have Fawcett Jameson Brown and one volume for the whole Bible. Matthew Henry, six volumes for the whole Bible. Can't be dealing in too much detail. It's six volumes. Now, pulpit commentary is 21 volumes. So he's now dealing in more detail. The reason I like pulpit more than any other is because he's argumentative. He talks, this could be this, but maybe it should be this. When you listen to Bishop Ulmer, uh, he gives PhD, so... When he's teaching, he said, now, if this is a preposition, this is what it means. But if this is an adverb, this is what it means. And, oh, my God, Bishop, what in the world? The 21 volumes gives you more detail. And so you aspire to go higher in your reading. You have to read. You have to absorb truth. You have to be more argumentative. What's happening now, as I come to a conclusion, what's happening now in the time which we live? What's the next one? I'm, it should be finished by now. Yeah. Thank you. I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be a pilot. And when I got called to preach at 19, my father said, leave your study of aviation and go to the seminary. Because we have enough preachers who can't preach so if you're going to represent my family as a preacher, you better go somewhere and study. The last thing you want to be, I don't ascribe to be better than anybody else. All I ascribe to is to be the best that I can be. I'm not comparing myself with anybody, but I want to be the best that I can be before the Lord. That should be where you are. You don't want to compare yourself with anybody. You just need to be the best that you can be. And I promise you, the best that you can be is good enough. Yes. Hear me. 
So as I close, for the first time, and the last time, I don't know who we're going to give these books to. Oh, yeah, I should do some trivia, shouldn't I? See, what's happening now in, in the church world is we're moving from discourse to dialogue. Why? Because of the internet. Everybody got comments. All right? Somebody tell me the name of Samson's father. Come on. Ask a question. What was David's second wife? What was her name? questions that'd be so hard Is that in? What did you say? He also said. Dr. Bimper, ask the question. Those of you who came from far, okay, you're not from Accra. You flew in. I'm going to give the next one to somebody that flew in. How old is Bishop Jones? <laughs> you can say it. No, no, no. <laughs> you can say it. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's all. That's all. That's all. That's all. That's all. <laughs> Who is the mother of Boaz? <laughs> Rehab, you are wrong. Before you ask a question, Listen, all of the, y'all sit down for a second. What we want to do is, um, you said there were some pastors that flew in. Amen. If you flew in from far to be at this conference, I want you to just stand up. Stand up for us. Okay. Very far. Very far. Did he get one? You said him, right? Very far. Very far. Okay. All right. Is that it? Where, where's he? Where's he from? Well, I'll tell you what. If, let's tell you what we're gonna do. All of those who are real far, answer answer the question. Answer a question. 
Whatever Papa say, if you're from real far, ask the question. Work for it. If they answer your question, you Who was the lady amongst uh, Jacob's children? What was the name of Bishop Noah's church? This man got it. Yes, give it to him. What was the name of Bishop Jones's wife? This one. Certainly I am. I'm very grateful to you. And I enjoyed being here with you. And I hope that something I said will make your ministry better. And that it will strengthen you as a preacher. But before I go, I think that we should sow into this ministry. I want you to sow into this ministry. Into this house. I don't know what your currency is like. Ten. So everyone get a ten dollar equivalent to ten dollars in your hand now. A hundred what? A hundred and twenty CDs. How many can give 120 CDs? Let me see your hands. And Zell Cash App, could you put on the board, put on the screen? I think that maybe because he doesn't understand our currency, what he's given, you know you can give far more. If you are here, you can give 10,000. You want to represent your ministry and sow into the sow a seed, a proper seed. I mean, what, what we have experienced here is somebody who is telling us what has made him who he is this you cannot pay for it like he said we are not paying for his gift we are not paying for his anointing we are just planting a seed in appreciation for what God has done here I mean I was so enchanted by all that he has said because we need to be able to convey the message God has given us and I think what he has shared with us is, is a whole I don't know whether it's a bible school or it's a whole, I mean, something that you need years and years and years to acquire in a Bible school has just been handed to us by somebody who has been to the battle, has come back and has taken off his armor at the age of 73. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. You have your instructions. 
So those of you who can give a hundred, a thousand, come on, come on. Two thousand, five thousand, three thousand, five thousand. Don't be limited. No limit. Plant a seed with your church, with your ministry and help. This conference has been a great blessing. So you can give and sow a proper seed. Please come. You can give a thousand dollars. You can give a hundred dollars, five hundred dollars. Feel free. Who is coming? Feel free. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you, my brother. Bless you. Come from near and far. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you, my brother. Bless you, my brother. In the name of Jesus. Bless my brother. Bless you. In the name of Jesus. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Blessings upon your ministry. May God take you higher. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you, my brother. Bless you. Bless you. As you bring your seed, let me ask you to do it quickly so we can take him out so he can touch you. He wants to anoint you. If you're going to bring your seed, come on. He'll anoint you real quick. In the name of Jesus. Come now. Ministry blessing. Double portion. Double portion. In the name of Jesus. Bless you, my brothers. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you indeed. Bless you. Bless you. Blessings on your life. Blessings. I'll pray for you. Bless you. Bless you. You pray. Bless you. Bless. I bless. 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 I need you to bless you. Survive. I won't harm you. Hey, yeah, that's Words from my mouth. I love you. Blessings upon your ministry. I'll pray for you. Blessings. Bless you pray for me. Blessing, blessing. Bless you. I really love you. Bless you, bless you, bless. I want love. I want you. With the words from my mouth. I love you. Bless you, bless you. I'll pray for you. Pray for you. In the name of Jesus, I love you. I bless you. I need you to survive. I won't harm you. I won't. Were the words of my mouth. Words. I love you. Bless. Hey. Bless you. Bless. I'll pray for you. Glory. Glory. You pray for me. Fresh anointing. I love you. Double anointing. Fresh anointing. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Sir, I pray for you. You pray for me. I love you. I 
Drop your seat, make it quick. Special anointing on his life. We want to get him some rest. He'll be back tonight. Listen. If for some reason we don't make it, we'll be back tonight. He will be back tonight. We want to get him some rest. Bless you. In the name of Jesus. Claim gifts, miracles, signs, and wonders. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Yes, bless. Bless again. In the name of Jesus. Victory right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hey, ministry blessings. Ministry blessings. Ministry. 
anointing in the name of Jesus well, well, I feel down there I need there. you need you to survive okay. in the name of Jesus let Bishop Dixon do the rest so that Papa Joe's can rest a little bit for evening hey, a hundred million in the name of Jesus. Okay. While, while Bishop Dixon touches you, just drop your seat and go quickly. Multiply. In the name of Jesus. Survive. I won't harm you with words of my mouth. Wow. Clap your hands for Papa. He will be back in the evening, so we need to give him some rest. Wow, 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 wow. Give him a wave. Give him a wave. Today is like university. Wow! My God, my God, my God, my Bring your seed quickly. We want to shut down. We want to shut down and then continue in the evening. We want to shut down. If you are bringing your offering quickly, like Bishop Eddie said, some of these things are not done cheaply. Yes. It, it's not that if you don't if you don't give we can't do but everybody must have opportunity to to sow into it because it, it's a great blessing it's a great blessing and god bless you for coming from everywhere from north from metal whatever if you have traveled very far make sure that tonight you are part of the service and um i believe that the man has taught us so much uh the the, the slides that he, 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 he presented I think that we can find a way to share it for everybody to get it so if you if you give your number make sure it is uh, WhatsApp a number that WhatsApp can connect and then those who are those who are also on the sons of the prophets they will put it there because it's so deep that he cannot use those few minutes so those of you whose numbers are there will put that me, the whole message on slides and send it to your phone so that you can go through and then all of us have been to Bible school but he has taken us to another level of Bible school if you believe that put your hands together for the Lord so uh, I've seen Bishop Jose Tutu Bishop Addison uh, Reverend Lamte everybody here is very 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 important yesterday now we introduced some so if we don't mention you I'm actually not doing introduction but it's just so turn to your friend and say God bless you for coming Thank you for listening to this message. We believe your needs were met and every word kept you in closer fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Want more? Find us on Facebook by searching Holy Hill Chapel AG or Reverend Kojo Boatindenpa. Or you can join our Supernatural Generation family. You can also subscribe on YouTube by searching Kojo Boatindenpa for our video messages to further boost your faith. We look forward to hearing your testimony through any of our social media handles on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.